Our first reading this morning comes from uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 49. So it's uh, chapter 49, I'm reading from verses 1 through to 7. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honour, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. If you could turn with me again to Genesis chapter 49. I'm going to be reading from verses 8 to verse 12 and then over to verses 22 to 26. Let's hear from God's word. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You're a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, his branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him, they shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady, his strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, again, as we come to this special time of the week, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your wonderful word so that we might know you better and indeed show you better in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
And so, friends, we return to the great book of Genesis and the story of Joseph. And if you've ever needed proof that those chapter titles you see scattered throughout your Bibles are not part of the original inspired text, well, Exhibit A is sitting right there above chapter 49. Jacob blesses his sons. Now, of course, for some of the 12, that's clearly true, isn't it? Judah and Joseph in particular. But what about Reuben, Simeon and Levi? Now, I'm not too confident blessing is how they'd describe their father's last words to them. And friends, that obvious observation begs the question, doesn't it? If bestowing a nice, positive blessing on each son, if that wasn't on Jacob's mind, what was on his mind? What is this chapter and what is said here truly all about? About for his sons and also for us as we listen on today. Well, friends, as I sought to answer that question during the week, as I, as I focused in on, on Jacob's final words to his family before he breathes his last, although I'm not a huge fan of the three-point sermon, as if each part of Scripture, each passage of Scripture, somehow always falls into that nice, neat category, today I believe it does. Because, friends, as you go through Jacob's final speech, Three big themes, three important truths shine through for us. How big and important are we talking here? Well, let's now dive into this fascinating chapter and find out together. Verse 1, have a look again at how it starts. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Now, friends, speaking of titles, if you're after one, well, there it is right there. Now, what's this moment, this gathering going to be all about? What will happen to each of the 12 in days to come? In other words, Jacob, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has prepared a prophetic word for each of his 12 boys. And as mentioned before, for most, this word is going to leave a smile on their face. But not all. Have another look at verse 4 as Jacob addresses his eldest son, Reuben. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Now this negative pronouncement continues for his next two, Simeon and Levi, doesn't it? Down to verse 7. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Now, friends, let's not beat around the bush here. Final words from a father to his children are incredibly significant. And understanding these final words are also God-inspired, well, that only doubles the blow, triples the blow for these three men. 
And as we, as simple bystanders, feel the, the force, feel the brunt of this, the question, of course, is why, isn't it? Why is this all Jacob has for his eldest three boys? Well, the old patriarch doesn't leave us in the dark on this, does he? The reason his eldest Reuben, although once excelling in honour and power, will excel no more, is given in the second half of verse 4. He went up onto his father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Now, friends, having heard that, there's really no need to further elaborate on Reuben's transgression here, is there? But if you'd like to know more about how Reuben shamed himself, jot down Genesis 35 and verse 22 and have a look later on. All right, friends, reading between the lines, this is what Jacob is pronouncing here. Because fleshly desires and passions took priority over honour for God, family and others, because you used and abused your position of strength as firstborn to gratify self, your legacy, Reuben, is not going to be strength anymore but weakness. And friends, you only have to trace through Israel's history to see just how prophetic Jacob's words here are. Although Reuben was the first sign of Jacob's strength, verse 3, not a single man of strength, not a single leader of any worth will ever rise from the tribe of Reuben. And friends, as we reflect on this, it seems, doesn't it, that the entire world right now belongs to Reuben's tribe, doesn't it? Honour for God, faithfulness to spouse, safety and nurture for children. So often traded in for immediate personal gratification. And we see the fallout of this all around us, don't we? consequences for choices taken that echo and reverberate down the family line just as it will for this man right here so that's Reuben what about Simeon and Levi why does Jacob bundle them together and speak such a harsh word to them as one well, the answer is in verse 6, isn't it? Have another look. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Now, friends, here Jacob is referring to how Simeon and Levi conspired together to go on a killing spree in the region of Shechem. The catalyst for this, the actions of just one man in that place, and what he did to their sister, Dinah. And you can read all about that in Genesis chapter 34. Now Jacob was horrified at their murderous trail of destruction back then, and now is the moment where these two will hear of its consequences. 
for using what happened to their sister to scatter that tribe, your tribe will also be scattered, says Jacob. And what does that mean? Well, it means they will never own a single square inch of the promised land when Israel finally take possession of it. So friends, in summary, Reuben's weakness means a weak tribe. While Levi and Simeon's destruction of another nation's land means no land for them. And friends, as I reflected on these consequences for their actions during the week, Paul's words to the foolish acting Galatians immediately came to mind for me. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now friends, although Paul was no farmer, he knew Indeed, everybody knows a good crop never sprouts and grows from planting weed seeds. Likewise, a good outcome never, ever magically sprouts from sowing sinful deeds. Now, on this, Kaufman in his commentary writes this, have a listen. The principle of sowing and reaping is handed down from the throne of God himself. No one can deny it. No sceptic can scoff at it. It was true in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and it has been true ever since. And friends, we only need to think of King David's transgression with Bathsheba to see the truth of Kaufman's words here, don't we? Uh, yes, David was God's anointed king. But the prophet Nathan tells David that fact doesn't exclude him from reality. Don't now expect flowers, David, to magically appear from your sinful actions. No, thanks to them, the sword will now never leave your household. For a man reaps what he sows. And so it will be for Reuben, Simeon and Levi. And friends, with that we have big truth number one shared by Jacob to his sons in his final speech. Sow seeds of sin, and not only will we surely reap its horrible harvest, but these thorns will very likely keep springing up to prick and damage your flesh and blood well after you're gone. So think hard. Reflect deeply, pray fervently before you open certain doors and walk down certain paths. But friends, as we hear this, as we, as we see up close the sowing, reaping reality brought to bear on these three sons of Israel, 
A lump immediately forms in our throat, doesn't it? As we do a quick review of our own lives and think, I wonder what sort of prophetic word Jacob would have installed for me or have installed for me. For I too have sown rotten seed in word, thought and deed. And knowing this, forget Jacob, what will I hear from my heavenly father when he returns with his perfect sickle and looks out upon my crop? Well, friends, as I said before, Jacob's final prophetic word contains not one, but three big truths. So let's keep going. Having told Reuben, Simeon and Levi they will suffer loss, thanks to their sinful actions, Jacob now turns to his next in line, Judah. And friends, having heard what he just heard, well, speaking of of lumps in the throat, you can be sure you could almost see Judas. Because, friends, every single person in that room knew also that he was far, far from squeaky clean. And I'm not talking about his bright idea to sell Joseph off to those slave traders. No, I'm talking about what happened after that. His call, his demand to execute his daughter-in-law, Tamar, when it was revealed she had prostituted herself. But the execution didn't wind up going ahead, did it? And why? Because Tamar revealed her client was Judah. His horrific, murderous double standard is all there in black and white in Genesis chapter 38. And so Judah steps forward stealing himself to hear what the consequences for his actions will be. And so old Jacob peers into his eyes and begins, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Now, friends, I think we we need to hit the brakes right there, don't we? And ask, is the old man's memory starting to glitch out here? Has he forgotten Judah's past? And if he hasn't, what happened to that unbreakable truth? That unbreakable sowing, reaping principle that Jacob has just established, just applied. Friends, so many questions about Jacob's change of tune right here for Judah. So where do we begin? Well, friends, our only option is go back to the text, isn't it? And when we do that, we discover the Judah that we meet in Genesis chapter 38 
is not the same Judah we meet later on in this story. And the person who knows this better than anyone is Jacob, isn't it? For it was Judah who stepped forward from his brothers, went to his father and personally vouched for Benjamin, gave his word to him, they will not return without him. And holding on to this promise, Jacob let them go. Not long after, Judah's word, his promise was put to the test, was put in the furnace, wasn't it? But it did not melt away, did it? Release Benjamin and take me. Put me in his place, says Judah. Now, friends, it was Judah's sacrificial substitutionary offer that was the loving straw that broke the camel's back for Joseph, wasn't it? Now, right at the center of this incredible story stands Judah. His love, his offer was the climax. It was the game changer in this entire saga. Although all of his brothers sinned, it was Judah who was willing to reap the harvest for what they all sowed. Was Judah a changed man from the man we met in chapter 38? You bet he was. And it's this new man who replaced the old that Jacob sees as he now steps forward to his bedside. And friends, as we listen to Jacob's beautiful words to him, as he peers into this changed man's eyes, we soon see Jacob isn't simply seeing the face of son number four, is he? Now, as he gazes at him, Jacob sees another son. He sees a different son. A son who was behind and inspired Judah in that moment. A son who in time will be made manifest through him and through his line. And as he gazes upon him, Jacob focuses our eyes upon him as well, doesn't he? Verse 10, have a look. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch, He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. A king, a leader that inspired Judah's courageous, lion-hearted love is on his way. He'll be powerful. He'll rule. The obedience of the nations, his. But he's going to ride on an animal that signifies peace for all the nations. 
all wars, all chaos, all dispute will be brought to an end in and through this king. Friends, what a picture Jacob sees. What a picture he shares with us of this son to come. The wine he is soaked in signifying both the greatest sacrifice he will offer as well as the greater reconciliation, the greater joy, the greater blessing his loving sacrifice will achieve. And if there is any doubt as Jacob stares into Judah's face that he sees the face who inspired him, well, he now describes it as best he can, doesn't he? His eyes more intoxicating than wine and a smile that shines whiter than milk. And so Jacob closes his word to Judah, describing the face of the one who inspired him. The face of the one who through his loving sacrifice won't bring momentary salvation, but ultimate, eternal salvation for all. For all who look to him. The face Jacob sees will one day be the face we will see as he with those loving eyes wipes every tear from ours. And with that beautiful image and promise shared by Jacob, we have the second big truth in this final speech. Friends, man may reap what he sows. There most certainly is consequences for sin. But the final reaping will be a harvest of joy and eternal life for all who put their trust in the Lion of Judah. For his offer, his offer of himself for us, is the loving straw that breaks the back of judgment and sin. Friends, as we take in this, this awesome and wonderful second big truth revealed by Jacob here. You're probably now thinking, well, what more is there to say? What else could Jacob possibly add before he breathes his last? Well, friends, this question takes us straight to his word to the son he thought he lost all those years ago. Verse 22, have a look. Joseph is a fruitful vine a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your Father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, 
on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Friends, when you ask someone, who is your favourite Old Testament character? Top two for so many people are Joseph and Daniel, aren't they? Why do these two men stick out? What do they have in common? Above all those other names in the Old Testament, it's their faithfulness under fire, isn't it? With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. And boy, those arrows came and kept on coming, didn't they? Wave upon wave upon wave. First his brothers, then Potiphar's wife, then the cupbearer's forgetfulness. Year after year of hardship, injustice, persecution and setbacks. But through it all, my son, your bow remained steady. Joseph's strong arm stayed limber. Where did this resolve and strength under fire come from? Well, his father tells us, doesn't he? The hand of the mighty one. Joseph rested in, drew strength from and waited patiently on the mighty one of Jacob on the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Trusting, knowing, while evil and lies may prevail for a season, Yahweh God will ultimately set all wrongs right. And in this unbreakable belief, Joseph stands tall as a paradigm of faith, doesn't he? A shining light of what genuine trust in God looks like, along with the blessing that follows when the fire of persecution and trials fails to burn it away. Chapter 39, slave. Chapter 41, ruler. What is Jacob's final inspired point before he breathes his last? Well, while Judah points us to the Saviour, reveals him to us, Joseph models our walk with him, doesn't he? A walk that shows very, very clearly the path of faithfulness in a hostile world is narrow, it's rocky, and it's windy. But for those who walk it, well, Joseph shows this is the path, the only path, that leads us home. And so Jacob points us to Joseph. Consider this man who kept the faith. Because he did, here's what's on the other side of that fire. Blessing. And to make sure you don't miss this, I'm going to jam this word blessing into my word to him as much as humanly possible. Because blessing is the promise, it's the outcome, it's the certain reality for all who follow in Joseph's footsteps. Is this the path? Is his the path that you're walking on? Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, as we hear that challenge, as we think back over Joseph's life and wonder how we would have coped with just a small portion of it, our Father, we recognise that in our own strength there is no way that we can walk the rocky path. No way at all. And so, Father, as we hear this incredible prophecy of Jacob, you reap what you sow, but through Judah a saviour is coming who substitutes himself for us. Follow that one to the end and there is life and blessing. As we hear that, Father, we pray that by your spirit who you have given us to strengthen us and help us for the fight. Father, we recognise even as we think over last week different ways that we have stumbled, perhaps even certain doors that we have opened. If that's any of us here this morning, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and change us and inspire us to get back on that path. Help us, Father, by your strength, your Holy Spirit to walk it, knowing that that is the path that leads us home to you. And Father, we pray these things, seeking Jesus' strength, praying that he would continue to be the one that we look upon, our author and perfecter. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.